Hi there, this is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. So today is going to be a little bit different, and, and more than me preaching at you, I would rather just have a conversation with you. And let me start with a quote by Robert Murray McShane. Uh, Robert Murray McShane was a pastor in the Church of Scotland in the 1800s, and he had an incredible in, uh, impact on Christianity, even down to our own day. And it's incredible to remember that he lived to only be 29 years old. But before he passed away, as a pastor, he said these words. He said, my people's greatest need is my personal holiness. He said that as a pastor. My people's greatest need is my personal holiness. Now, he said, my people's greatest need is not uh, my preaching. My people's greatest need is not my charisma. My people's greatest need is not how I handle the church finances or how I conduct a wedding or a funeral. My church's greatest need is not even my ability to lead. And I've shared with you before that great definition of leadership. Leadership is disappointing people at a rate they can stand. And if you've been in leadership, you know that's to be absolutely true. None of that is my people's greatest need. My people's greatest need is my personal holiness. Now, why would he say that? He says that because Jesus invites us to walk closely with the Lord. And the avenue of experiencing that, the avenue of making that happen is holiness. We can't be close to the Lord apart from holiness. And so as a pastor, I will either serve as an example, as an encouragement for you to get closer to the Lord, or I can also prove to be an obstacle. Now, let me turn this on you because it's not just about the pastoral role. Your people's greatest need, whoever your people are, your people's greatest need is your personal holiness. Because God just doesn't want church people to come to Him. He wants the entire world to be restored to a right relationship with Him. And so, whether your people is your family, whether your people is the group of guys you have coffee with on Tuesday morning, whether your people are at your workplace or in your neighborhood or people you've been mentoring for years, your people's greatest need is your personal holiness. So now here's the challenge. We are living in a world that is more and more becoming politicized, polarized, pressurized. We live in a world where it's hard to be holy when we are literally swimming in a culture of hate. So my wife asked me this morning, this is the forbidden question around our house on Sunday morning. She'll say, what are you preaching about today? And my answer is always Jesus. Yeah, I've learned not to smart off anymore after almost 30 years of marriage. I said, well, I guess if I were to sum it up, I would say, here's how to be a Christian in an election year. And not only here's how to be a Christian in an election year, but, but maybe this is how we should be a Christian the year after that and the year after that and the year after that. Because we do live in a world right now where everything Jesus taught does not seem to be paid attention to. I've seen a trend, and I think you've seen this too. Back in the good old days, when I first started pastoring, um, the editor from the Tulsa World would call me. Now, I don't know if you know this, a newspaper is something that's made out of 
paper, it kind of fold in the middle. But the editor of the Tulsa World would call me and say, you know, everyone's saying this is the most important election ever. You hear that every four years. You know, what, what are you telling your congregation? And I'd always say the same thing. Proverbs 21.1 says, the Lord holds the king's heart in his hands. We don't have to worry about who wins the next election. God's got thing, things well in hand. But I noticed about 2016, and again in 2020, and I have a reason to believe this downward trend would continue, things just got a little nastier and a little more negative and a little more polarized, and I found myself kind of getting sucked down into some attitudes and behaviors that I really didn't like seeing in myself. And so instead of just giving this great advice that God holds the king's heart in his hand, I believe that's still true, I want to do something that's a little more intentional and internal, that how can I guard my heart in a world that's becoming particularly dark and negative and angry? And so what I want to offer you today are some reflections on Jesus's Beatitudes, eight statements that he gave to his disciples and to the crowds. It says, if you really want to be my follower, if you really want to live above the level of mediocrity, here are the internal things that you need to put in place. And so what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to take these eight Beatitudes of Jesus, and please, I'm not going to, I'm not rewording the words of the Master, but what I am trying to do is to apply his teaching to right here and right now in this season. And so if you like what you hear this morning, great. In fact, I, I think you're going to hear some things. You go, oh, I need to write that down. You can, you can do that if you want to. But I'll have you know that my annual church letter to the church uh, my annual pastoral letter will have all this in there. Now, if you don't like what I have to say this morning, that's okay too. My challenge to you is you do better. You take one of these applications, you take one of these statements of Jesus, and you articulate for yourself how to be a follower of Christ in a very challenging time. So I brought a little show and tell with me this morning. I've had this on my desk all week just to see when people come in and they, they see it and wonder what this is. I've had a couple people guess right and some people guess wrong. But I'm thinking about the Beatitudes of Jesus, and I began to kind of play with these eight statements that Jesus made. And I started thinking about mountain climbing, of when a climber goes up a mountain, if, unless they're going to do a free climb, that they literally take bolts and they hammer into the side of the mountain. They anchor at that point, and that's where they they hold on and that's where they belay and they, they hold on to that. And I started thinking, well, that'd be a great way to look at the Beatitudes of Jesus uh, as these anchor holds. But then as I got further into it, I moved away from mountain climbing to ice climbing. There are people who literally climb up the sides of glaciers and people who climb up the sides of frozen waterfalls. I know you look at me with my upper body strength and you think that's me, but it's not. I've never done that myself. But in order to climb up the ice, they don't use a spike that they would use in the side of the mountain. They use something like this, and it's an ice screw. Can you imagine how physically fit you would have to be that as you're climbing, you tap these in, and then you actually turn the screw into the ice, and that helps you hold on. The reason they use these is because the ice, the surface is forever changing. It freezes, it melts, and so the surface is changing. Every climb will be different, and so you actually put these in as you ascend. So that's my metaphor for thinking about these eight statements of Jesus. 
that if we want to ascend, if we want to grow closer to God through holiness, and we don't want to fall into the crevasse of chaos that seems to be our culture, here are some things we can hold on to. And again, if you don't like what I say this morning, I've got a big old ice screw up here on the platform with me. You come up and talk to me afterwards. I'm joking, but I do have this for protection this morning. So, let's, let's just jump in. Here's the first beatitude of Jesus. Here's what He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What I'm going to do with each one of these, maybe give a little background on some of them so you'll see how I got to the application that I have, and that won't be cold. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus uses a word there, patokos, that literally means so poor that you're reduced to a life of begging. You have absolutely nothing, and you're a beggar before God. And it's those kind of people and only those kind of people that understand what it really means to be in a right relationship with God and to call Jesus king. So if I think in terms of opposite, poverty of spirit is what helps us connect with God. What gets in the way of our relationship with God? Pride. Pride is the greatest hindrance to anybody's relationship with God. Anytime we say, I don't need God's commands, I know what I'm doing, I don't need Him, I've got life figured out without God, that's pride, you're going to be on the outside looking in. But those who realize they have nothing to offer, that, they are the kind of people who experience the reign of Christ in their lives. So here's the idea that pride is a barrier to relationships. If pride is a barrier to my relationship with God, don't you think that pride is also a barrier to our relationships with one another? And so, in our world right now, see if you've ever said something like this. Well, if everyone just thought the way I do, the world would be a better place. Or if everyone just voted the way that I vote, then we would get this country turned around. If everyone would just agree with me, everything would be better. In fact, I've even heard people suggest and say outright that the litmus test of being a follower of Jesus is how you cast your vote. Friends, that's heresy. The litmus test for whether or not you are a Christian is, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? That's the litmus test. But we've let pride begin to separate so many. And in fact, some of you, you've got family and over Thanksgiving, you're bracing right now because you know that there's going to be conversation and there's going to be conflict, and it all finds its roots in pride. So, if I were to apply this teaching of Jesus, I would say something like this. Blessed are those who truly believe that the world is changed more by prayer than by opinions. Blessed are those who truly believe the world is changed more by prayer than by opinions. I think you've noticed this. Everyone's talking and no one's listening. So why are we continuing to talk when no one is listening? Let's talk to the one person in the universe who ensures us that we have his rapt attention. Telling other people our opinions isn't working. What happens if we start talking to God about what is going on in our world? So let me apply this in a couple of ways. First of all, don't plan to pray, pray. Um, I'll talk about news media consumption here in just a moment, but even your news time can become a prayer time. Let me give you an example. Um, I was driving in this week, and um, I was hearing a report about 
Chinese premier and our president meeting together, meeting in San Francisco, it gives me a great opportunity right then and there to pray for peace, to pray for common sense and the common good to be at the center of their discussions. And then I start thinking about the underground Christian church that is in China. And it gives me a chance to pray for brothers and sisters in Christ in a communist country. These are brothers and sisters in our, we may never know their name, but we share a common Lord. What an opportunity to pray. What my opinions are as I'm driving down the road listening to my news, my opinions don't mean anything. My prayer means everything. Second piece of application from this, then we're going to go on to the next one. This is a tough one. Don't share your opinion unless you are asked. I expected there to be a collective groan right there. Don't share your opinion unless you are asked. Because many times we give our opinion unsolicited, and it's just a form of pride. I love what Dallas Willard says. He says, I am practicing the art of not having to have the last word. Realize that your prayers over other people means more than your opinion. I, I, don't, I don't want to walk away without saying this one. This is a little clunky. What makes the greatest difference is not how I speak for God. No, we do that, right? When we share our opinions. We kind of think we're speaking for God. This is truth. What makes the greatest difference is not how I speak for God to others, but how I speak about others to God. Let's go to the next one. Remember, these are anchors in which to connect in and to continue to climb. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So mourning is a very strong emotion, and I would contend it's probably the strongest emotion that a human will feel. My first church, about six months in, I did a funeral for a lady who she and her husband had been married for 50 years, and a whole year and a half went by until I left that church to go to a new ministry assignment in Alabama. And right before leaving, I went and visited the man, the husband that she had left behind. And over that year and a half, he said this. He said, I've still not been able to go in and sleep in our bedroom. He was still mourning. He was still grieving. It was a very strong emotion. You and I need to know right now, and we do know this, there are some strong emotions at play in our culture. I will name two of them. Fear and anger. So we feel afraid, we're angry, and we're often angry because we feel afraid, don't we? So Jesus, I think, would tell us that none of that's going away. That fear and the anger, it's still going to run rampant in our cult culture. And what we need to do in response is not hoping it will go away. We need comfort. Now look at that word for just a minute, because if you take it apart, it's a Latin-rooted word. C-O-M, com, means with. And you see the word fort right there in the middle of it? If we want to live in this world, we don't need to feel safe. We need to be strong. We need to stand up to fear. We need to stand up to anger. We need to stand up to these very strong emotions because if we're not careful, if we operate in fear and anger, we will only make things worse. In fact, if you're a chess player, you know that there's a move. Chessboard gets really bad. You're losing. There's a particular mood called, a move called a zootzwang. And it's whatever move you make, it's only going to make things worse. Have you ever had a day like that? That's the name for it, Zootswang. Whatever I do, it's going to make it worse. If we live in fear and anger, it will only make things worse. 
So here's how I might apply this teaching of Jesus. Blessed are those who are strong because they realize and they remember that Christ's kingdom is not of this world. We need to remember that. Christ's kingdom, in fact, Jesus said those very words. I don't think how he could be any clearer in front of Pilate during his trial. Pilate was a thug in a toga. I've told you before, not a thug in a toka. That's different. I'm sure there are thugs in a toka. But he was a thug, a political thug in a toga. And he said, aren't you going to fight? And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If I were, if it were, my servants would fight. So if Christ's kingdom is not of this world, we don't need to fight. What we need to do more is trust. I know what some of the anger and the fear is. It is we want to take America back, right? But let's be careful. You say, we just need to go back to the way things were when we used to have prayer in school. Oh, you mean those same days when we used to have segregation in school? Is that the days you're talking about? The world has never been a perfect place. Our job as a church, hear me, is not to take America back. Our job is to call people to Christ. That's our call. So blessed are those who are strengthened by remembering and realizing that Christ's kingdom is not of this world. We bolt in and we hang on. The next beatitude, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Let's talk about this one for just a moment. The word meek throws a lot of people. It's actually used in ancient literature. Meek does not mean weak. It was used by Alexander the Great to describe his horse, Bocephalus. Bocephalus was a horse that no one else could tame. But Alexander the Great, before he conquered the world, he conquered that horse, and he conquered Bocephalus. He broke the horse, and afterwards he said Bocephalus was meek. Okay. Here's what that means. His strength was channeled. Instead of just being all over the place, all chaotic, that strength was harnessed and channeled in a clear direction. Here's how I might apply this teaching of Jesus. Blessed are those who spend their energy not complaining but contributing. Blessed are those who spend their energy not complaining but contributing. Anyone can complain. Can I give you just kind of a, a grassroots here of what I often experience as a church? Um, people say, we wish you would talk more about LGBTQ issues, or we wish you would talk more about immigration, or we wish you would talk more, preach more against abortion. In fact, if I got a couple of whiteboards up here and put them on the platform, I say, okay, let's mention every issue that is important to us right now. I probably could list off 50 easily, but notice the one person who won't be on that list, Jesus Christ. We can spend all of our time talking about every issue and we'll never get around to talking about Christ. So my encouragement to you is, instead of complaining, contribute. If you don't like abortion, instead of asking me to speak about it, which is easy, by the way, why not go volunteer your time or your resources to Crisis Pregnancy Center and make a difference in somebody's life? Instead of waiting for me to talk about LGBTQ issues, why don't you walk down to our cafe, pick up a book by Wesley Hill called Wash and Waiting as a Christian man who struggles with same-sex attraction. Better than that, why don't you take a person who is gay out for coffee and just listen 
and just hear their story, and you might need to apologize for some damage some Christians have done. Build a relationship. Instead of me talking about immigration, why don't you sponsor a compassion child? $38 a month won't make a world of difference, but it'll make a world of difference for one person. We can spend all of our energy complaining, or we can contribute. Jesus said, blessed are those whose strength is channeled in such a way. Anchors to hold on to. The next beatitude, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So Jesus talks about our spiritual appetite here, and if you haven't discovered this yet, our appetites can be developed. Um, a friend of mine from years ago, many of you remember Danny Hillenberg. Danny Hillenberg, friend for a long, long time, he probably passed away about 10 years ago. Last few years of his life, he was homebound, and whenever I'd go visit him, uh, he, there was a refrigerator by, by his door. He said, Darren, as I'd come in, he goes, hey, get a Perrier out of the, the fridge and get one for yourself too. And so we'd go over and we'd crack open those Perriers and I would manage to just get mine down. Like, oh, I can't stand this stuff. He'd drink his Perrier. I don't want to be rude, so I, I guzzled down the whole thing. Next time I'd come in, Darren, get a Perrier. And then pretty soon I was showing up to Danny's house. I hope he offers me a Perrier, you know. <laughs> I found myself moving from disgust to craving, okay? I had this desire for a Perrier. So I believe you can develop a taste for anything except oysters. That's just never going to happen, right? Doesn't happen. You'll say, well, put some horseradish sauce on it. Well, if I want to taste horseradish sauce, I'll just eat horseradish, you know? But most things we can develop an appetite for. In your media consumption, have you developed an, adi- adi- an appetite for what is hateful or what is honorable? Blessed are those who develop an appetite not for what is hateful, but what is honorable. So let me kind of give you some encouragement here. If, if you say, well, I've taken a lot of media, I just don't know what to do with all of it. Okay, so here's the first thing to do. Go on a media fast. Maybe it's this week, maybe it's next week, maybe it's next month. Just say, I'm turning it all off. And then, be very instrumental and intentional about what you add back in so that what you are consuming is informative, but not deformative. That's not a word, I just made it up. You want to make sure what you're consuming will inform you, not deform you, okay? So for me, my max on news in any given day is 15 minutes. That's all I can take. I have a podcast. I listen to three times a day. It's five minutes of the headlines very little commentary, and I know most of what's going on in the world, and that's all I can handle, and maybe I have a a weak disposition in that, but that informs me without deforming me. I would also encourage you, outside of traditional media, be careful of your social media consumption. There are three people that I have forbid my wife to say around the house, you'll never guess what so-and-so posted. Those three names are forever banned in our house. And all three of those people, at one point, were members of this church. Part of my concern is I'm disappointed in what they are saying because it does not honor Christ. My other concern is I'm disappointed in myself because what did I do as a pastor and as a discipler to tell a person that saying such things is okay? Listen. 
you represent Jesus Christ. And out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the average American spends 25 minutes a day on social media. You can't tell me the average Christian spends 25 minutes a day reading the Bible, which we did. We need to make sure what we're consuming informs us and not deforms us, but it's only the Scripture that will transform us to see our world clearly. So I'm going to give us a challenge come January. 31 days in January, I'm going to encourage and challenge everyone in this church to read the entire Sermon on the Mount every single day. Right there, some of you went, ugh, I don't have time. Well, let's take the 25 minutes you're spending on social media, and it takes about 15 minutes to read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. That's what will transform us and not allow us to be deformed in a world. Blessed are those who develop an appetite for what is honorable and true and right and just and not what is hateful. Drill into the side and hold on. Number five, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are those who hear a soundbite about what someone said or did but they don't overreact until they make sure they have the full story. You know what, consider this for a minute. Have, have you ever said something that could be taken in a couple of ways? You said something and, and maybe somebody just assumed the worst in what you said. I can't believe you said this. I can't believe you did this. Wouldn't you really like it if somebody just gave you the benefit of the doubt before they rushed to judgment? Let me ask that again. Wouldn't it be great if somebody just gave you the benefit of the doubt before they rushed to judgment on you? I think so. That's the way you want to be treated. Why don't we treat other people that way? Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who give the benefit of the doubt to others before they rush to judgment. Read Joshua 22 sometime. There was a misunderstanding that took place within a, between a couple of tribes in Israel. And as they were gearing up for war, somebody said, you know what, let's send an embassy. Let's make sure we have the full story. And when they got the full story, you could almost hear the armor and the spears clinking down on the ground as they spoke of making war no more. Instead of overreacting, they listened. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Number six, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Soren Kierkegaard said, purity of heart is desiring one thing. If we want to see God, we must pursue Him and Him alone. So we can put our focus on so many things. If you focus on yourself, you'll be discouraged. Guarantee it. In fact, if you are discouraged today, that's probably why. If we focus on others and the differences we all have, then we will be divided. We see plenty of that. If we focus on the issues, we will be distracted from what is really important. So, the way I would rephrase this is, blessed are those who choose not to be discouraged because they're focusing on themselves. They choose not to be divided because they're focusing on others. They choose not to be distracted because they focus on the issues and who delight more and more in the goodness of God and in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't know what's gonna happen in this next year in the election. I have no idea who's gonna win and if you're looking for me to tell you who to vote for, that's not gonna happen. But I will say that before, during, and after this election, our church, is going to focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ
because that is exactly what we've been tasked to do. And there's no other organization or body on the planet that is charged with that. That is who we are. And we will focus on him. Blessed are the pure in heart. Drill in and hang on. Number seven, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Here's how I might rephrase this one. Blessed are those who know how to disagree with others without feeling the need to dislike them. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who know, who are mature enough, I would say, to disagree with others without feeling the need to dislike them. Now, let's be honest. Um, we have let our culture define love. Love says if you love somebody, you have to accept them as they are and you never can question anything about them, okay? That's not love, that's just a lack of conviction, right? Our world has also defined hate, that if you disagree with somebody that you automatically hate that person. I don't believe in that either. In fact, some of the people I love the most, I've disagreed with the most because I want what's best for them, they want what's best for me. So blessed are those who learn how to disagree with others without feeling the need to dislike them. So I go to one of the hospitals here in town on a regular basis, and the gentleman who checks me in at one of the hospitals is a gay man. He shared with me he's married, and, and we're kind of developed a, a little bit of a friendship when I see him when I go to the hospital. And then one day he kind of made the connection. He saw me on TV, and he said, oh, you're a pastor here in town. Can I come to your church? Absolutely you can. Gave him my card. I said, the first time you, you come to my church, I, I want you to let me know in advance so I can, can be there to greet you and, and to welcome you. So as I continue to go to the hospital and I continue to interact with him, he hasn't come yet and probably, who knows, he might be here right now, you know? Wouldn't that just be ironic, right? Are y'all with me? Y'all still with me today? So as I walk up to the hospital now, I imagine taking different members of my church with me and they hear me inviting this man to our church. Listen, if we can't invite anyone here, then I'm not a very good pastor. But once they come here, if I'm not willing to say, here's what I really believe, I don't dislike you, but but we might disagree on some things. Here's what I really believe. If I'm not willing to do that, then I'm not a very good Christian. Listen, everyone is welcome here. But I should also feel the freedom, as should you, to say our compassion does not negate convictions that we have. Can we not, as Christians, learn how to disagree with others without automatically disliking them. Now, some people will interpret it as disliking, and if that's so, that's their choice. But in our manner, in our expression, in our compassion, let's not give people an excuse to walk away from the gospel of Jesus Christ, the one thing we believe they need the most, and the one thing that will truly change their lives for the better. Last one, number eight. And then I'm going to go home and take a nap. It's been, a, it's been an interesting morning. Blessed are the persecuted, those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Here's what I want to do with this one. I, I want to give this one to you. You see what I've done with these seven Beatitudes up to this point. Why don't you take this one, and why don't you wrestle with it to say, if, 
If I were to live this out in my cultural context right here, right now, what does that look like? And you create a statement of your own. If I were to give you something just to lead with, I would say something like this, that if you decide to do what is right, you will be wronged. If we decide as followers of Jesus to do what is right, there will be a price to that. That's expected. Jesus said so. Let's anticipate it. Just because we're in the will of God doesn't mean that life is going to be easy. Just giving you a couple of places to grab hold. It's a cold world. It's slippery. Let's tie in and let's hang on and let's continue to ascend, getting closer to God and not let the world drag us down. One more show and tell. I have two rocks with me. In case you rush the stage, I'm ready. I never know if my joking lands or not. Uh, when I travel to places on the planet, instead of going to the souvenir shop and buying something, because all the souvenirs are made in China, you know, <laughs> why, why am I buying something that was imported from China? And plus, I'm cheap. I like souvenirs that are free. I'll reach down and I'll pick up a rock. And so it's funny to go through security. I've got a bag of rocks with me. I feel like Charlie Brown after Halloween. I got a bag of rocks. But here are two rocks, and last time we were in Israel, I picked these up. Um, this one's from the Mount of Beatitudes, the very place where Jesus said these words. I, I picked up this rock. I like it because it has eight little divots in it. Just so happens I didn't notice that until I got home. Eight little Beatitudes. When Jesus finished saying these words, the people were applauding. They were ecstatic. Look at what authority he preaches with, and they just couldn't get enough. Well, the other rock is from Mount Precipice. This is when Jesus went home to Nazareth and talking to the hometown crowd, what he said didn't sit well with others and they took him out to the brow of the hill and they were going to throw him over and stone him, but his time had not yet come and he walked through. I keep these two rocks on my writing desk, knowing that as a communicator, sometimes there are going to be things that I say that people will go, oh, love that, can't get enough. And there'll be other times when you say some things that will not land well and not meet with people's approval. Being a good communicator is doing a little bit of both of those, right? Well, here's what I believe. This is a rock that they would have thrown at Jesus. This, this is one that they were applauding. I think, I believe, that the Beatitudes of Jesus will become more and more unpopular in our culture. That, that what we expect to be the Mount Precipice. No, when, when Jesus says these things, when we start living these things, these are going to become harder and harder to live, and they're going to become less and less admired if you choose to not be angry and afraid, but instead choose to be faithful and fearless. If you choose to channel your strength, strength if you choose an appetite for goodness, if you choose to reflect instead of just react, if you choose to be undistracted from your delight in God, if you choose to have a strong spine and a soft heart, if you choose to put up with a whole lot but you never give up on God, this will become more and more unpopular. But it's also how Jesus defined right and what is good and what is holy. A final word of comfort 
And I mean that not to make you feel good, but to make us realize we can be strong. When my wife was pregnant with Caleb, our, our middle son, um, she was exposed to Fifth's disease. Fifth's disease is something very minor that kids pass around. Sometimes you don't even know that they have it, but if you're pregnant and exposed to Fifth's, it can be detrimental to that child, detrimental to that baby. So we go to the doctor there in Alabama, and, and really we're left with more answers, uh, excuse me, we're left with more questions than answers at the end of that doctor's appointment. Very unsatisfactory, and he's kind of, well, we have to wait and see. So we get out to the car and we buckle into our little Chevy Cavalier and I remember we put Kira, who's about two and a half, and we buckle her in the back seat and she has no idea what's going on. But as Paula and I began to discuss what we had just experienced with the doctor and we were worried, she started singing, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole wide world in his hands. And then she goes into the second verse and because we'd been using Caleb's name, I think she just started singing, and he's got little baby Caleb in his hands. He's got little baby Caleb in his hands. Listen, whatever happens this next year, he's got the whole world in his hands. Let's quit acting otherwise. And then he also has you in his hands. So remember, that before you're a Republican or a Democrat or an American or whatever other label and whatever group you're a part of, you are called to be a follower of Jesus. So let's start acting like it. Let's stand together and let's pray together. And as we pray, I invite you to pray along with me. Father, we're Americans and we like making resolutions but I think before we resolve anything, we need to take a moment and just repent. That we have become better known for our political allegiance than for our submission to you. That we are unashamed to share where we stand on issues, but yet we are silent when it comes to our loyalty to you. Today we need to repent of our fear in our anger because we believe it's within our job to control what happens and to fix all of this. Well, the world is just a mess and God, it always has been. But what an opportunity to trust you, to let our faith be strengthened and resistant to fear. That's what I pray for, a, a fear-resistant faith. So this morning, as a representative of our church, God, we repent before you. Forgive us that we have been passionate about things that are temporal, and we have been careless about those things which are eternal. Help us, Jesus, to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing, and I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, and may God grant you peace, both now and forever. Amen.